Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. This is State of Ukraine from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep with NPR's best reporting on a war that is changing the world. What's happening in the rest of Russian-occupied Ukraine? That's an urgent question after discoveries in Bucha. The withdrawal of Russian forces revealed the bodies of people in civilian clothes left on the streets, as we've reported in recent days. Bucha is just one town out of many that Russian troops have occupied. So we begin with a look at another town Russia recently abandoned. NPR's Becky Sullivan told our colleague Scott Detrow what she saw in Borodyanka. Well, this little town, it's about 50 miles northwest of Kyiv. Ukrainian officials have said that it's another example of what they say is Russia's indiscriminate targeting of civilians and that there there could be quite a few dead people here. Um, the city is on a highway crosswords, which is part of what made it nice for people who live here. It's easy access to Kyiv, but also, of course, for attractive to Russians coming in from Belarus in their attempt to take the capital mm-hmm. city. So today I started at that main crossroads where I could already see some pretty destroyed buildings. And one of the first people I ran into there was Arsen Belevsky, who is the director of a Polish community school in the town. He evacuated after Russian troops arrived, and he only just got back in the last few days. But he pointed down the main street, and he told me, this used to be a quiet and beautiful place. But if you walk down there now, you'll see some very terrifying things. Um, here's a little bit of him. He's saying that they mined everything. Uh, they mined the doors to houses, entrances to private apartments. And if you walk down the street, you'll see all of these bombed places and just know that there's likely still people there, but they're no longer alive. And he looked down at my camera and he said, there's no photo or video that could capture the atmosphere here right now. And you know what? It turned out to be right. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky says that there could be just as many civilians dead in Borodyanka as there are in Bucha. What did you see uh, to back that up? Yeah, it's definitely different than Bucha, I'll say, where the worry is mm-hmm. more about Russian soldiers shooting civilians indiscriminately on the streets, like execution style. But here in Borodyanka, the, the concern is more about the targeting of civilian buildings. And just to give you a sense, you know, on this main street along a mile or so of it, it's lined with houses and it's lined with also these big Eastern European style apartment blocks that are these long, narrow buildings, six or seven stories tall, um, with broad sides facing the street. And so not one, but several of these buildings were hit in the same just kind of shocking way, which are these huge strikes right to the center of the building, leaving each end standing, blackened with the windows blown out, air conditioners hanging down. Um, But then the whole middle of the building is now just a gigantic pile of rubble spilling out onto the street. The, The walls just cleaved away cleanly. And looking at that, it's very hard to imagine people trapped in that surviving. Um, Emergency crews are going through the rubble now, but officials are very pessimistic about the odds of finding anybody alive, and they think that hundreds could be dead. Aside from the devastation, what did people say about the fighting there? Well, the Russians came in very fast, they said. Um, And the fighting began on just the third or fourth day of the invasion, late in February. I spoke to a territorial defense volunteer who said he signed up right away on the 24th. Um, he was an old veteran, so they let him sign up. Um, but unfortunately, the armed forces just couldn't get up there in time and in the numbers needed to really stop that advance. So instead, it was volunteers like him fighting with the arms they had and fighting with Molotov cocktails. And they're just no match for the Russian forces who were then very fresh and the Russian jets coming in and bombing the buildings. And, and the Russians were just able to take this town very easily. 
And then on the other side, just this last week or two, Russians essentially withdrew on their own. And Ukrainian officials say that Ukraine didn't have to do much fighting to take it back. A lot of people we're talking to in Ukraine are, are really worried that these towns aren't unique. They're, they're just the places where this devastation can be documented at this point. Do you think that's a valid concern? Oh, I think it, it couldn't be more right. I mean, I, we already know that we're going to see a few more things like this when it's safe to get into places like Mariupol, for instance, um, or there's a few journalists in Kharkiv. We're seeing images coming out of there that are like this. Chernihiv recently liberated, according to Pentagon officials. And these are just the big cities. I think there's going to be a lot more of this. And analysts have warned that as Russia gets more and more desperate to be able to claim a victory, any victory of any kind, that it may intensify this kind of all-out flattening of towns um, in this effort to seize the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine at any cost. NPR's Becky Sullivan here in Kyiv. Thanks so much for your reporting. You're welcome. An NPR discussion yesterday got at the frustration that some people feel about this war. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy took a question from our own Domenico Montanaro. The U.S. learns of military atrocities and responds with sanctions. It's unsatisfying to me. I mean, I watch those same images. I've got young kids at home, and they ask me the same questions. Why can't the United States do more? What more can we do? Um, being the president of the world's most significant military power um, is a difficult job. And what President Biden is weighing is um, steps that could make this conflict even worse than it is. If the United States were to you know, send hundreds of thousands of Americans into Russia to try to bring an earlier end to this war, the opposite may happen, frankly, is likely to happen. It, it probably becomes a war that envelops all of Europe. That's Democratic Senator Chris Murphy, part of an NPR Twitter Spaces discussion. Despite the limitations on U.S. involvement, Ukrainians are asking for more. And we talked through USAID to Ukraine with an advisor to President Volodymyr Zelensky. Andrew Mack is a U.S.-based lawyer with a Ukrainian background. He's worked for Zelensky since 2019. When he thinks of U.S. help, he thinks of three phases. First, disappointment. Then gratitude. And now, concern about the future. By the time it became clear that Putin was planning this uh, huge attack against Ukraine, uh, the weapons started to flow, but that was quite late. I think, if I'm not mistaken, U.S. weapons started uh, in mass to come into Ukraine uh, in the second half of January. So uh, basically, uh, you know, it was late, better late than never. Uh, but having said that, you know, the Biden administration has been extremely helpful. Obviously, you know, time is of the essence. When I follow the speeches and interviews of President Zelensky, it seems to me that he's saying two things about Western aid. First, thanks very much for all the support. I recognize how important it is. But second, what is the matter with you? Why are you not doing more? Can you speak to that side of the equation, the frustration? Well, I'll do my best. You know, I obviously don't have the authority to speak directly for the president, but I'll give you my best take on it. So here's a situation. You know, in addition to the military confrontation, right, which actually Ukraine has done exceedingly well, and all the predictions were that Kiev would fall in a day or two and Ukraine would collapse within three days. Yeah. Know, thankfully, that has proven wrong. Um, and actually, it looks like at least the first battle of Kiev has been won by the Ukrainian side. Uh, so this is very unexpected. However, despite this, you know, seeming victory, we see several things that are that are troubling. One is 
Uh, we believe Putin is, re, is regrouping. He has no intention to call it a day uh, and say, oh, I tried, it didn't work. Uh, Putin has completely monopolized control of the Ukrainian Black Sea coast. But let me be blunt, if the Ukrainians are not able to export uh, their products, you know, their food products, their metal products um, from Odessa to the rest of the world, Ukrainian GDP will be hit. Uh, the Ukrainian economy uh, will not be able to stabilize. You know, Putin could very well lose the ground war, but he but he could economically cripple Ukraine. Uh, the al- alternative uh, so supply routes that Ukraine has via Poland and other neighbors in the West are not sufficient to make up for uh, the giant ports in in Odessa. This is really interesting because you're telling me that there are some ways in which time is not on Ukraine's side. Well, I, I think that's right. You know, I hear a lot of analysis that time is not on, on Putin's side. The Russian economy is going to, you know, uh, head to Soviet era levels in six to 12 months. You know, uh, unfortunately, the Ukrainian economy, unless it gets significant assistance uh, or the Black Sea ports are unblocked via a naval presence, unless that happens, then, um, you know, uh, Ukraine will be economically not functioning in a matter of months. So as this becomes a longer war, Ukraine is going to need more economic aid. Absolutely. Is there a different form of military aid that Ukraine will need than it is needed in the opening weeks? Well, the the conventional wisdom now is that the battles that are being prepared literally in the coming days or week in the east, in the Donbass region especially, will be re- will be the modern version of Stalingrad. Ukraine is going to need a lot more heavy artillery, tanks. They're going to need planes. Uh, they're going to need helicopters. They're going to need everything you need to fight a significant land war in a confined area. Andrew Mack, advisor to Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. Thanks so much. Thank you. And this is State of Ukraine, NPR's best reporting on a war that is changing the world. Think of it as a breaking news live blog for your ear. You get regular updates here. Nina Kravinsky produced this episode and Kelly Dickens edited. I'm Steve Inskeep. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR.